correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, what's up? Welcome back to Me and Steve, and we've got another installment of our dark gaming horror, all that fun stuff series here going. Maybe the last episode in the series, but who kind of knows, because, well, we just wing it most of the time anyway. But I'm here tonight with Steve... Hey, Steve. <laughs> and we have another guest this week. But before we get into all that, let's do a, a little quick promo for another show on the D20 Network here, Steve. Yeah, I think we're talking about Tabletop Tales. Why don't you give us the 30-second pitch on that? <laughs> uh, tabletop Tales is cool. They're uh, an actual play podcast here on the D20 Network. They currently have, I believe, three campaigns going. The main one is one they call What Comes After, which is a post-apocalyptic Genesis game set in, well, actually like 90s New England. But it was a really, really fun series, and I think they've actually played the last session of it, although I don't know if it's aired yet. But uh, that was a really, really cool setting, and we actually talked to their GM, Tyler, about it a number of episodes back. They've also got a Star Wars Edge of the Empire game going, which I believe they also stream, and there is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition game that they also do a stream of. So be sure and check them out. They're really cool people and good fun shows. Yeah. Good people over at tabletop tales. I love that podcast, but we have a very important guest on this week that we do. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Oh, I get to do that too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've been paying attention in the last couple of weeks, there's been one game that's got brought up a couple of times and that is a game that's, well, brand new out. It's not even out in print yet. That's still kind of working its way to wherever from the printers. And that would be Haunted West from Darker Hue Studios and Chris Spivey. And this week, we're very happy to be joined by Chris Spivey himself. So welcome, Chris. Thanks. I appreciate you, Steve, having me on the show. Yeah, well. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on the show and coming on to talk to us. Yeah, very much. So, um, you know, obviously that's your your newest thing out. You also got a lot of attention. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but for, um, oh my gosh, my brain's failing me. Harlem Unbound. Yes, Harlem Unbound. (laughs) (laughs) And when we've talked some Call of Cthulhu a lot recently, so that was a supplement for that, and that's in two editions now. So uh, I don't know, Chris, where would you like to start? Because, you know, obviously the new thing is cool, and I know there's some really unique elements to it, but the other thing is, from what I understand, a work of mastery in many ways. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that that puts me in a, a really awkward place if I want to like try to talk myself up, but I can't go much higher than that. <laughs> but then I don't want to appear too humble by saying, "No, it was nothing. I, I did it in my spare time in one day with like four other people, and it was psh, whatever." <laughs> I guess we can we can start with Harlem Unbound since that's probably what I'm I'm most well known for. Okay. How would you like to start? Well, I mean, I know here's what I know of Harlem Unbound. I know it is a supplement for Call of Cthulhu, primarily in the 1920s, dealing with 
life in Harlem, especially for minorities. And I have been told that Harlem Unbound is the source to go to read about respectfully representing minorities in role-playing game context. That is a whole lot to unpack. So I guess I'll start like this. <laughs> so the, the idea for Harlem Unbound came, came to me a long, long time ago. My cousin is Zornel Hurston, who is a, was a prominent figure in the Harlem Renaissance. And the book itself primarily focuses on the time period of the Harlem Renaissance. But if you read through the book itself, it's actually sort of a, a love letter to Harlem because the book goes from prehistoric times all the way up to the end of the Harlem Renaissance. The core of the book, we'll say about 85% of it is focused on Harlem, some of the different mythos elements, and some scenarios. But I wanted to make sure that we sort of had a wide gambit to represent the history of Harlem, how it's impacted things, the people that lived in Harlem before any of us immigrants came to the country, and make sure all that was properly represented. And so the, the tagline for the book itself, though, is the Harlem Renaissance through a mythos lens. And you deal with the mythos horrors and the mundane horrors that you have to face because humans are just as potentially evil, if not more so, than the mythos for marginalized folks that have to interact and encounter with them. It put a spin for a lot of people who are used to potentially, if you're in a Cthulhu scenario, stuff isn't going your way. You know, if you go into the house, that Shoggoth will like crush you and everyone you ever know, and you'll kind of call the police, and the police will show up eventually to distract it to let you do something. But as one of our black investigators or another marginalized investigator calling the police could be more deadly than interacting and trying to beat the shog off by yourself. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, not something I really personally have a frame of reference for, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a heavy topic, but I think it's one that deserves to be brought out and seen. So initially with the book, I was pitching it around to different role-playing game companies because I wanted to have a larger company publish the book. But after a few years of getting, we don't think that'll sell, none of our audience would want to read or buy that, I decided to kickstart it myself. And I decided to do that, I want to say, in 2016. And the Kickstarter itself went live in 2017. Yeah. And people had their books in hand in 2017, sorry. And then when the innies hit in 2018, we won three gold innies for best writing, best setting, and best cover. And uh, after the, the big winning spree, Chaosium came and said, hey, we would love to publish a second edition of the book. Okay. Now, my understanding from, from what I've been looking around is that your first edition has stats for both Gumshoe, as in Trail of Cthulhu, and would that have been 6th edition Call of Cthulhu at the time? Uh, no, it was, still, it was still 7th. But I didn't include any pulp rules in the first edition book. Okay. So one of the things for me growing up in Alabama, I never had a lot of money. And so if I bought a role-playing game, it needed to be like a complete game. Otherwise, it is a, a great book that I could read that I could never do anything with. <laughs> so for Holman Bound, I wanted to give everyone a complete role-playing game. So like you bought the book, you've got a core book, you've got source material, you can run it, you can do whatever you want with all of your friends. And I wasn't able to do that with Chaosium. They, they allowed me to be a licensee, and so I could use all of their great material and so it was a source book for Call of Cthulhu, but it was a completely full core book with the gumshoe rules. So you could play either either or. Uh, okay, that's how that worked. I, I did know it has gumshoe rules, but I wasn't certain if that was tying on to trail 
which I thought was set in the 30s, but I could be wrong there. Uh, no, it's specifically the Gumshoe open license rules material. Uh, Trail of Cthulhu itself is a licensed product, so we didn't use anything from that. Ah, okay. Th- those licensing stuff get complicated. <laughs> Always fun. It's it's a nice little elegant dance. Yeah, well, and then what? I guess now Chaosium has released an OGL on the BRP system, but that didn't help you then. Uh, no, not in 2016. So that's, like you said, that's probably what you're best known for. And, you know, I don't know how much else you want to say on it other than, you know. Um, like I, said, I, I could do give like a six-hour lecture on it if you want to, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of want it to be entertaining for you all and just not me <laughs> saying. So on March 13th, 1923, this occurred. Well, that's, you know what, I think that's that's one of I for me, and, and while I'm not a big fan of 20s Call of Cthulhu play, I think that's one of the draws of that system in general, is that you can do so many historical tie-ins with it. And where you see, you know, some of the people who are really into that system are also massive, massive students of history in, in various ways. You know, we talked with Seth Skorkowski a couple of weeks ago, and he flat out said he's learned more 1920s history doing research for running Call of Cthulhu games than he ever learned everywhere else combined. <laughs> uh, a lot of that's true. Although for me, it was sort of the opposite. I was always into history, somewhat because of my family and somewhat because um, growing up, I read a lot of books. And so I stumbled on history and history was almost more engaging, entertaining, if you could read the real history, than most of the fantasy or sci-fi books. And so when I was doing all that, then I stumbled over Call of Cthulhu that was a role-playing game set in history. And I was like, aha, I have found it. But then I, I learned about uh, Lovecraft. So, Yeah. Now, that is something we, we haven't really discussed at all this month. And that is, you know, the, for lack of a better way to wait, say it, the wait. problematic nature of a lot of his writings. You, you said you've talked a lot about Cthulhu this month. How could you not have discussed Lovecraft? That seems to be like... Well, there's a lot the white racists in the room. Yeah, but there in modern parlance, there's a lot more than HP Lovecraft doing cosmic horror and playing with those characters. And that's the thing that we've sort of that's the elephant in the room that we've avoided. And yeah, it's 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 a shame that other authors get sort of put down to avoid because, having this conversation. What was that? Get to avoid having this conversation. Oh no, it's fine. It, it's just a shame that other offers get sort of pushed because they are using mythos material and people go, Oh, well that's, Oh, you're using the thing that was created by the racist. Well, yeah, technically, but I've taken it and put my own spin on it. I've told my story like, and that's, that's sort of why I appreciate where call of Cthulhu, the game has gone. I appreciate Harlem unbound and seeing things that are just the antithesis of what, he as a person stood for. And, and I think that's one of the things that I really, I, I really loved Harlem Unbound. I'll just tell you straight up. I, I read it and was like, it's fantastic as a, as a history nerd and as, as a fan of the call of Cthulhu game, it's just phenomenal, but I love your takes on things and, and how you incorporated the history into it. And like you saying about, you know, it's, it's more dangerous to call the police than it is to, than to deal with the Chagoth outside. And and that's, you know, started my college career as a history major. And so that's understood completely that, you know, it's like, wow, this is, 
this is a dark take on a dark situation and it's it's interesting i man i i really dig harlem unbound i really do for me also there's kind of the element that you know i'm for lack of a better word i'm a white gamer in my 40s and i grew up in a very rural northern area where to this day there still aren't many minorities in in my hometown and it's one of those things where i'm aware of it and i know it's been handled very badly in a lot of things but i don't know how to speak about it and not sound what do you want to say patronizing and i know that's not what it deserves and i don't know that i'm doing any better of a job by not talking about it but i think i don't know i don't want to stick my foot in my mouth for lack of a better way to say it by not talking about the thing you inherently become complacent with it and you give it power it's understandable to be concerned if you're going to mess up and put put your foot in your mouth as you say but it's stuff that needs to get done and it is better to try to face whatever it is head on and do it as well as you can with its with your influence and outreach that you have to make safer spaces for other people in the gaming industry itself because i can tell you on the whole that being a black gamer in a lot of these spaces is let's just say dubious and have people that have the ability to say something not say something doesn't help sorry i don't want to like turn the, the podcast into a a very much a, a soapbox and no no but I, it's, it's important like no, I, even if someone puts their spin on the work it needs to acknowledge what the origin of that work was because a lot of the racism itself is inherent in the work and you can separate the two, but there are enough people trying to spin that someone wasn't what they were, that it clouds and confuses other people and it loses the truth. The most important thing at the end of the day is always going to be the truth. And people need to know it so they can decide how they want to process it and deal with it and move on. No, I think that's that's fair. And that's in in some ways was one of the reasons I did want to talk with you because I knew we could talk about it from an informed perspective, or at least you could much better than I could. And, you know, I don't want to speak for, for Steve as well, but again, it, and I, and I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, not saying anything, being complicit in ways and and you're right. Complicit. Thank you. You know, so yeah, to a certain point. Yeah. We did not bring that up in, in the call of Cthulhu episode we did, but yeah, maybe we should have because yeah, Lovecraft had, unacceptable views let's put it that way at least from my my knowledge but i also to me i think that stuff like what you did with with harlem unbound to a certain point reclaims the what do you want to say the the fiction and says yes the guy who came up with all this was an asshole but we can still take some of what he did and make it something that includes everybody properly. Was that like one of your goals in, in doing Harlem Unbound? One of my goals was to address that and some of the racism, racism itself in the gaming industry and to talk about it at large on the world itself. But before we tangent to that, one of the things about not talking about it when you get to interact with industry professionals that are actually part of companies producing and making that work is then it becomes something they don't have to address. They don't have to make like a public statement about it or engage with it or say, this is our views. This is what the company is trying to do to offset this. These are the actual moves that we're making, just not 
sort of cosmetic little aside so people think that we're working on something. And like that's the power that you two have and the entire network being podcasters. You get to interview these people, you can interact with them. You can ask them these questions and then they can respond and sort of say what they really think or what they think the company is going to do to address them and make that space safe for everyone. I am a, a very small publisher with a, a microscopic following and even less influence. So <laughs> no matter how great the work is I put out, and I love every single person that buys it and talks about it, but there are so many people that will buy it, talk about it, and then it'll sit on their shelf and they'll never play. So then it doesn't have any sort of actual larger reach or impact. So mm-hmm. the larger companies need to be doing that work also. Okay. No, that's fair. Now, I have a question, and I've been thinking about doing some stuff with the gumshoe Fall of Delta Green set in the 1960s. How much material as far as dealing with issues of minorities, underrepresented peoples, can can someone take from Harlem Unbound and translate it into another setting? Like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of it does translate, but having not been able to read it yet myself, I, I, I don't know. Most of the material itself can be taken and applied to different settings, different real world situations and everything else. But there's also nuance that needs to be addressed for each individual time period because the world does progress sometimes better, sometimes worse. And all of that needs to be factored in. As I have not read The Fall of Delta Green, I can't speak to what work can may or may not have done. Yeah, I, I haven't. I picked it up, but I haven't got a chance to read it again. I'm, I've gotten more things in my to read stack than I know what to do with. It's on my shelf, but I've been a, a little busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, you've been doing all kinds of stuff with, you know, well, you had the second edition of, of Harlem Unbound to do. And then uh, did you launch basically right into Haunted West from that? Or did you have some other stuff in the middle? Uh, one of the big things for me is usually when I'm working, I I have sort of like my, my master file that has all these ideas I have for stuff I want to do. And there may be three dozen ideas. And then out of that three dozen, a dozen of them have actual spines and skeletons for work. And four of those may have a couple of pages of notes for me to go for projects I want to do sooner than later. And Haunted West was one of the ones that was in that four that I had sort of in my queue after after Home Unbound. But I was going to do the sci-fi thing first, but it kept Haunted West kept coming back and saying, hey, we think you should write on us. And instead of doing Haunted West or anything else, I instead wrote over 120,000 word superhero module for Call of Cthulhu for their Pulp Cthulhu that I turned in, I want to say in 2018 or so, that Chaosium will publish one day. And then after that, I went directly to Haunted West. <laughs> well, I, I can say from my little corner of trying to write, you know, be it campaign ideas, adventures, whatever, I've got a significant list and can never figure out which one I actually want to work on. So can't identify on the same scale, but I understand the uh, conundrum. Uh, and so I, I have done a lot of other sort of side projects. Like I became the line editor for the Mask of the Mythos book from Onyx Path. It's sort of their Mythos Scion book. Uh, I've worked on Dune, Doctor Who, which I'm super excited about for the second edition, as a longtime Whovian. <laughs> uh, and maybe like a dozen other projects here and there. So it's it's been a, a busy couple of years. Well, that's a good thing. So... Yeah, we got a little heavy there, but I think it was a direction we needed to go in and, and 
at least address to a certain point. Do you want to at this point talk some more about Haunted West or do you have more you'd like to to talk about with you know, Lovecraft and Harlem Unbound and, and all that? Um, it's it's you guys' show, so it's up to you. I don't know how ready you are for that sort of a heavy topic. <laughs> I've, I've listened to some other podcasts and I, I, don't, I don't think they've gone into that thing before. Steve, are you muted? I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I agree with you as far as addressing and and keeping companies keeping companies on on their toes with that, especially pushing companies to make public statements because it's it's so disingenuous just to hear those. You can tell that it's disingenuous when you hear those like quiet. Oh well, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, sure, he might have been no. We know that Lovecraft was a racist. That's end of discussion. But I think that's a little heavy. And I think maybe moving into talking about Haunted West might not be a bad thing at this point. Okay. Good with that. So where do you want to start with Haunted West? I know it's a a weird West setting. Um, I've heard one of the unique things about it is you actually have basically three levels of your game system as far as complexity. And I've also heard you say that you're one of those people who does believe that you can play anything in any system, but you have included the important caveat that with the proper modifications. So which of those would you like to go to first? I think the best thing would probably be do kind of your overview on Haunted West first. So Haunted West is actually a historically accurate core role-playing book. And by that, I mean, it's layered. For instance, you, you can say it's Word West, but what I what my vision for the book was, and I had all the team work towards too, is that the first layer of the book itself is a historically accurate depiction of America. We start it in prehistoric times. We go all the way up to the end of the what is considered the oldest period. For us, was like the last stagecoach robbery in 1916. Mm-hmm. But because before we added in any weird or supernatural elements or aliens. I wanted to provide a actual foundation for a game that people wanted to research and dive into the history, which I don't think any other Western game has done to date. I know that all of them may have like Western bits, but they always have supernatural infused. We went the exact opposite route. We started with the history first and built up from there. So if you wanted to run a historically accurate game from any point in time and then where you're riding on the Oregon Trail and you're more afraid to die of dysentery than anything else, you die of dysentery. But you get the full actual history of that journey and all the different people, all the different groups that were there whose stories have either been stolen, erased, and I wanted to give voice to those people that have lost their voice. And on top of that, then we add in the layer of the weird. And the Weird West is this massive genre that is super encompassing. It's just not vampires or werewolves. It is aliens, it is extra-dimensional beings, it is everything, and it's magnificent. And for that, then we also added in different, some different things from folklore, and we made some of our own up. And on top of that, if people want it, I've included an alternate timeline where Lincoln and Johnson are both killed, and then it sort of spirals off to the possible repercussions that may occur. And in the core book, I've included the first five years of that for folks to get there, sort of get like their their beaks wet so they can see how they like it. And on top of that, we've included a meta plot for people that want one about a secret organization and some ancient beings that they're sort of battling against. And you can play one of those, two of those, all of those, however you want for your game. 
And that's just the setting material. That's really, I was not aware that it contained a, what do you say, mundane is perhaps the wrong word, but a historically accurate setting in addition to the, you know, the supernatural elements, the aliens, whatever. And I, I kind of like that. I, that's something that, that I've thought about wanting to play in it at times, because at some point it's like, okay, we play in so many games that have so many fantastical elements. Sometimes it might be fun to play in one that doesn't. And that time period has been so romanticized in a lot of what you've seen to actually take and go back and, and do it from a historically accurate lens, I think would be both informative and enjoyable. It is both of those. And it was incredibly daunting, fraught with terror. Um, I had a massive team. I pulled people from multiple different backgrounds because it's just not on me to try to tell the story of America from all the different marginalized groups that were here. I wanted to let as many voices as possible tell these stories. We brought in numerous sensitivity readers, proofreaders. Um, I would say the book itself took maybe a year, year and a half, and then we took another nine months or so just to try to go back and make sure that it was culturally sensitive, that we weren't doing anything that would hopefully not trigger anyone else. We provided a content warning for the book, but we did not glamorize the American myth. We brought it to reality and we showed you the some, they showed you some of the atrocities, the victories that multiple people did atrocities, just not one group of people, though largely it was white Europeans that committed more of the atrocities. And all of that is highlighted in the book and the history. And on top of that massive, I want to say, uh, over 40,000 words history section alone, we have a different section dedicated to the different folks that sort of made up the entire Americas with the indigenous nations, immigrants, everyone else is its own separate chapter. We have another chapter dedicated just to locations. So we give you the history on lots of different little places. So you're not just stuck, say, running a game only in New Mexico. You have the entire what is considered America really to run because we include New York. We include like San Francisco. We include stuff in the middle, up top, all around. So you've got that entire period and place and people to play and engage with. That I did. What is the page count for this this core book? Just out of curiosity. So it is with covers and everything else. It's 806 pages. Okay. I was going to say that has to be quite the volume to have all that information in it. Because we do not skimp on artwork because artwork is, is also just as important as the words and history we're providing. And we try to write in a manner that's engaging because we don't want to bore you with history. I want you to read history and love it the way that I do and see all this amazing diversity that was there that people are trying to tell you that's not there. I built the book like this because I want other creatives out there to read it and go, I have a source that I can reference to start making my own book in any of these different time periods. And Chris is give Chris and his gang have given us all these great hooks to work from. Cool. No, I, I it's been on the list of things. I honestly didn't become aware of it until after the Kickstarter had closed. And uh I'm gonna have to definitely try and get my local local guy to, to get me a copy of this when the when the hardbacks and whatnot come out. And so Which, on top of all of that, sorry. Yeah. Uh, excited yeah, about keep, it. <laughs> yeah, keep going, keep going. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm done. You can go. I'm, <laughs> I got. I can wait a minute. No, I was just going to say. I know if if I have things correctly, the digital versions are have been released to the public currently. 
but the print editions are still somewhere between printer and Kickstarter backers and will then eventually be released to the public, correct? Sort of. So all the digital the digital versions of everything has been released. You can buy the you can get the core book, the balladeer screen. For us, the balladeer is our game moderator. Mm-hmm. It's it's a whole other story that's really entertaining for later. Um we've released four or five digital scenarios a pack of pre-generated characters because the game itself uses a life path system or for us, I think we call them milestones to build your character. So when you build your character in Haunted West, we start from your birth all the way up until really whenever you get done rolling on the life path. So you could be that 19 all the way up to if you really wanted to keep rolling, maybe 80 and then hit the trail. But during that, you may have encountered the weird. You start with allies, enemies, people that like you, people that hate you. Favors you may owe folks, but you've got an actual solid spine and you're a living, breathing member of whatever world you and your balladeer are shaping. Very nice. Now, is that somewhat akin to the life path system that I don't know if he was the first one to do it, but the, the life path system that Pond Smith put into Cyberpunk in, I don't know if it was in 2013, but I know it was in 2020. Um, I maybe. Fair. Some people have compared it to that. Some people have compared it to Traveler. I just know that I wanted it and how I wanted it to look. And so I sort of told the vision to the team. And the team got it, boss. And they went out and they made some amazing stuff. And as any other creative, I was like, that is brilliant. But have you thought about that it went from there? Hey, that's the whole creative process, right? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's the thing, like, right? The, you know, let's go on a little bit of a tangent here. But that's the thing where, like, game design has come so far in call it the 40 years that we've been well 45 years that games have been really being written but you know it's also a thing where everyone builds on the work that have come before them and you learn lessons from it and you go this was cool and this wasn't and i want it to look like this and you know you have examples to work off of and yeah i don't know what that has to do with anything but it was in my head so you have a, a, a very robust life path system, which sounds incredibly wonderful and, and fun to make characters with. It's one of the things that we stress in the book is how vital a session zero is. Because a session zero sort of lets the group sort of form all their own stories because there is also one of the final milestones is sort of the group milestone. So it's this thing that sort of cements you all together. And it's the reason why, regardless of a bounty on your head, this person next to you that's got your back will not sort of sell you out to the sheriff 80% of the time. <laughs> so that's an important story element that has to be part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was, I mean, well, you know, as the, as the old saying goes, everyone has their price. So once you, you've got your life path, where do you go next? So the life path is broken down into, you have your initial life path, then you choose your paragon. So a paragon, I guess, would be equated to almost a class. Uh, we've got gunfighters, academics, practitioners, resolute. So there's 12 different paragons. And each of those paragons sort of has key skills, and they give you a bonus to certain skills. And then they each have their own individualized milestones that you'll roll on those also. So, for instance, you may start sort of the same general initial childhood path together, which some of the milestones, will, one of the key elements of the game itself or to take a step back, is your origins are also random. So for instance, you're rolling, you may roll that you're an immigrant, you may roll 
that you're a black person, you may roll, that you're sort of anyone. And all of that is one of the milestones. Because I wanted to go back and reinforce part of the thing that anyone can play anyone if done respectfully and with the proper education. And you will likely fail. But when you fail, you try to apologize for anyone that you may hurt, and you try again. Because I staunchly believe that gaming teaches us empathy and how to better understand each other. And part of that is people having to sort of take that initial step to try it and build an actual community. Even the game itself, it stresses that all the movies, everything you see, talk about this one exceptional person doing something. That's not really true. There is a community behind that person that gave them this opportunity to do whatever this exceptional thing is. And for instance, we have a grip mechanic, sort of you have a, a modular point, sort of a, a point that you can spin to let you do things. You may get a bonus on a skill roll, you can do other things. One of the things that I added in the game is if you spin it for yourself, you get a plus 10% to your own skill roll. But if you spin it for someone else, they get a plus 20% to their skill, sort of reinforcing this concept of community. Okay. I don't know that I've seen that in a, in a design before. I like that though. Yeah, I'll just pipe in and say that I really like that because it encourages your players to work with each other, which I think in some systems, I don't know, in some systems it can really feel like you're just isolated. You know, it's like, oh, well, me and my friends, but I do my own thing and they do their own thing and we do our own things together sometimes. But it's nice to have a system that encourages, no, help your uh, help the people in your group, uh, you know, do things that are beneficial for the group and and not just beneficial for yourself and i really like that and especially in a game like you're saying that has a, a really extensive life path and to to use that and to encourage how other people affect that life it's i i think that's cool i think that's really cool yeah and i i like what you're saying too about the you know respectfully playing not your own background because I think that's, you know, I know for myself, that's something that maybe I shy away from because I don't want to screw it up. And then like you were saying before, to a certain point, ignoring it makes it stronger. And that's not at all what I want to do. But I guess sometimes you just have to bite it off and chew it, even if it's a little tough. I think so. But that's just my guiding principle. You know what? It's 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 a thing where I think that it, yeah, it it's not always fun, but I agree with you though that I think games can be a powerful powerful tool for well building community because let's face it what is a gaming table other than a micro community and you can learn things and take them away you know and I know in in discussions we've had on the podcast I've learned a lot about myself as far as why do I like certain things just through various discussions that that we've had and and there's a lot more to games than just having fun. And I think it's a good thing to embrace that. I think the other part of it though, is you can make that experience and learning fun, which is part of what I've tried to do, especially in haunted West, because I'm asking people to take a, a larger step out there. And I'm just not asking one or two person, one or two people. I'm asking the entire table for when you roll characters, because you don't necessarily know you can come with an idea for your character. And when you're rolling on the tables, that idea may shift and change because these are sort of touchstones for you to help build and sort of reorganize your character with. So it doesn't take or destroy your idea. It helps enhance your idea and makes it more of a part of the world because 
it was so diverse at the time, it is astounding that people don't know it. I had uh, a couple writers on the book didn't know 30% of all of the drovers or cowboys and cowgirls were black. They didn't know that. They'd never been taught it. It never occurred to them. And they found out working on the book. And I had some people, had a, at least one, had one writer who was so, didn't really get on board with what we're doing that they just had to drop out of the project because they didn't think it would be possible to tell an inclusive, accurate history of the time period. I knew this was like after they were way behind on deadlines and everything else. I wonder if, and, and not to go into a majorly deeper topic, but I wonder if some of that ignorance comes from the media that's been produced around the time frame. You know, if you think back to the old John Wayne movies, that wasn't something that was represented, even though I completely agree with you. In, in the history, it is, it's there. It's just a fact. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But in the media, in the way it was represented later, that's not something that was represented. And I wonder if that's why people sort of have that blind side to it. Because, you know, it was just, it's just not, and, and I appreciate, I really, hearing that and hearing what you're saying about this, man, I, I bought Harlem Unbound because I thought that was like awesome. I am literally on and buying Weird West right now. Like, <laughs> or I'm sorry, not, uh, um, I'm literally buying the game right now, like as we speak, because it's, you've, you've sold me. That is absolutely up my alley. And like I said, the thing I appreciate and the thing that I'm hearing you talk about, and you have an appreciation for history and a love for history that really shows and, and comes through in, in what you're talking about. And in, it shows in the writing. I mean, honestly, it does. And and that's what I love about your books and, and your content that you put out is because you have this, this passion for the history. And that's awesome. And yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, I've spent a little, you know, I haven't done a ton of research, but yeah, even some of the, what do you want to say, more documentary-based media I've seen on the West, aside from Bass Reeves, has really just sort of glossed over any sort of underrepresented individuals pretty much completely. I want you to keep that in mind, and when you look at the historical folks chapter, because we also have a history chapter just about actual people at the time, think about how difficult it was to find people and information on them much less finding images of some of them which was nigh impossible like sitting on my hard drive i've got maybe another fifteen thousand words of historical folks that i haven't included that i may include in a future book because there are so many amazing people that no one has ever heard of you must have had to really done massive amounts of digging to find this information then uh, i would say for for Holloman bound there was a lot of online stuff i did and i bought i always buy books so i like physical books it helped in the wee hours after reading something for hours and hours, it makes me feel better to like fill the book than reading on a screen. I would say for Holland Bound, I bought maybe 20 books. That's not counting digital. This is like physical books that are mailed to my house that I sitting on my shelf. Uh, for Haunted West, I think I picked up over 100 books. Wow. And I think I've managed to give away, because I so much bookshelf, uh, 20 of those. Because I want them to have new homes. I want other people to see the history. That's really, I mean, I, I was not aware. You know, I, I was aware that in making the game, you had been careful to make it historically accurate. I was not at all aware that you had dove this deep and really put this much work into it. And like Steve said, that is that is just awesome. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be picking this up. 
once we, at some point we can find out and talk about availability and so forth, because this is something I definitely want. Hey, Steve, I'll make a deal with you. I'll order it. I'll order it digital and you'd let me know when Phil can get it in physical and I'll order it physical as well. <laughs> Just tell him to order two. Oh, all right. So you, you keep asking about the physical. So uh, you may have noticed the world is still in a little bit of a crisis right now and printers are having somewhat of a paper shortage, but we've managed to get in under that. So with luck, this is a big spoiler. We should have, I'm saying this tentatively and I'm putting a lot more, sort of like caveats on it left and right. So if you look for a tag, note this has 18 potentialies around it. <laughs> we should have the book next month. Awesome. And I want to ship it out as soon as I get it, but it'll be based on holidays because it wouldn't do any good if we get the book, say, late December or mid-December to try to ship it out in the big influx with UPS and FedEx, how they are currently, much less when they're in a crunch period. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of one of the... The project management aspects of them owning your own company that you also have to do with the game design and everything else is trying to figure out how to make sure you can have proper customer service, but at an economic cost point also. So there's a somewhere of a profit in there. I know people hate to hear people talk about profits, but I love the art. I love making the books, but I need to make money to be able to make the next book. I love that art to be able to give someone something else. But you also have to make enough money to be able to stay what do you say, living and not have to go do other things that would take away from your time to do these books, you know? Oh, I have a full-time real job. Oh, you do? Holy crap. I've got a family. I've got an eight-year-old who's currently hanging out in the living room on her iPad right now while I'm doing this. And in my free time, my fun time, this is what I do. Well, all I'm going to say is is that's impressive because, I mean, I know the, what do you want to say, the not few biggest companies in the gaming industry, most of the rest are done by people who do it on the side and part-time, but to turn out something with this much content, this much research behind it, while you're still holding down a full-time job is impressive. Thank you. I, I don't know if I would have chosen your word. I think I would have chosen a word that questions my life choices sometimes, but I like yours better. <laughs> well, you could, you, you can describe yourself however you like, but... Let's put it this way. I, I wish I could get that much done around my full-time job. So, <laughs> all right. So, I mean, I'm sure you could go on about more about your setting and so forth. Do you want to do mechanics? Because. um, It's your show. I, I am just a guest and happy to be here. <laughs> I may be drinking a beer right now and just chilling. So you let me know what you want and that's the direction we'll go. Well, let's put it this way. I, I'm sold on your, your setting material. I don't need to hear more to really, really want this book badly. And I am one of those people who I will try pretty much any game system at least once. And if I like it, I'll try and find other ways to use it. But I've heard one of the interesting things on Haunted West was that you actually have like a easy mode, an intermediate mode, and a, I don't know if crunchy is the right word, but a crunchy mode as well. Okay. So... In the book, you could technically say there are four game systems. Why? Because I gave you a lot of tools to run the game, sort of like from a narrative story point. I want to give you a lot of tools to be able to run the game from a mechanical standpoint. And some groups like doing things really crunchy. Some groups like almost a more narrative style. The fourth one, though, is sort of a, a, a hack for the game and a, a powered by the apocalypse hack. Because the more I was reading, a lot of people loved Holloman Bound. 
like they didn't want to use Trail, they didn't want to use Chaosium, they wanted to use Powered by the Apocalypse and run their games. I was like, all right, when I make Haunted West, I will potentially include a hack just so I can give people something to like out the door play the game. And they hit that stretch goal, and I was like, great. Now I've got to find, now I get to hire another creative to write a Powered by the Apocalypse hack. Because I've played it and I like it, but I am not the person to write it. Because I like crunchier rules. And so a lot of the rest of the system itself is based more on the initial concept I had for the Abor system, which is going to be Darker Hughes' house system. I wanted something that was going to be modular and somewhat granular that I could do different things with. Because I'm going to use it for multiple different genres over the years, whatever new game I put out. And part of that then became, what is a solid, easy-to-learn mechanic that people engage with? And I've been using a variant of what's in the book now in my own home games for decades. It's a, a simple, like, sort of the D100 roll under. It's super easy. It's almost in, intuitive to understand. If I say that you have a 60% in short arms, you can roll two percentile dice, and if you hit 60 or under, I am successful. If I roll above, my shot went wild. And where we start getting into more crunch... Like, that is the one core that goes throughout the three tiers. And the three tiers are the Badlands, Quick Draw, and Deadman's Hand. Badlands is a more miniature miniature combat version of the game, where we have something called stamina points, and we have sort of an action chart. You can say how many points you want to spend and what actions you can take, and you can move around on the map with that. And skill rolls are the same. It uses slightly different damage rolls. The next one is Quick Draw, which is almost more narrative-focused. It's like you're at a card table and you keep sort of pushing your luck and you're sort of betting and hoping no one calls you. And you can keep doing these amazing feats and amazing things until finally the balladeer says, all right, it didn't go down like that. Make me a call. And then you roll. And if you're successful, you get to keep building that story. If you fail, the balladeer gets to add in some complications and your story keeps going and progressing. One of the important things was like the story doesn't end. It keeps moving and morphing. It's not always morphing your benefit. And lastly is Dead Man's Hand. It's a more, we'll say, traditional style of play, and it's where most of the widgets are. We definitely use sort of a jacks mechanic. So you roll percentile dice, and if you make your skill, it's successful. But for every 10 degrees under, you earn something called a jack, which is sort of a meta currency. It can do more damage if you're attacking someone and our little narrative things. Or you can flow it down your river that lets you hold onto that jack you can spend it later in the game on some other skill. You can automatically succeed on that skill, or you can add a bonus to that skill roll later. I like that idea. I, I, I love those, those kind of little meta currencies in games because they, they do. They, and I think they encourage the players to participate in the narrative so much more. That and, and all the playtesting that kept coming through. And so for the Dead Man's Hand, we also have chase rolls, be it horse, jetpack, gray saucer. And there's, that's where you find all sort of like the crunch rules are in the Dead Man's Hand section. And they're built so that you could apply the ones you want to use or you don't have to use them. And that was really important for me when I was building everything. And the last part is that we have the dueling mechanic, which you can have gunfighter duels or sort of social duels because it was just important to be able to use your words as effectively as your shooting iron back then. So you can talk people down, to big massive arguments and they use sort of the same mechanics but with a different flow to them cool you're not helping my wallet with any of this talk chris that is my objective <laughs> <laughs> oh wow now this sounds i, I 
I was interested before and it has only grown. So, uh, all right. Yes. I'm, I'm definitely going to be buying this. <laughs> <laughs> so what other cool bits do you have hidden in here? Because you got 800 pages and it sounds like you have a thousand pages worth of history. You've got four game systems and I don't even know. So, <laughs> um, the other thing is we have peculiarities, which are sort of, um, advantages and disadvantages for a character. Sort of, you can sort of like help shape your character a little bit more. One of my personal favorites uh, that I'm that's in the book is a, a partner in every saloon, which basically means anytime you go into saloon, you might roll a d10, and there's like I think a 10% chance you know someone in the saloon, and then there's another random roll that determines your relationship with that person. It ranges from something comical to like a hated vengeance to like a, a scorned uh, past relationship help add in a little extra flavor. It doesn't always happen. It's sort of a, a smaller percentage chance, but you can buy it a couple times and increase the percentage. But every saloon you go into, every new saloon you go into in a scenario, there's a chance you know someone. That sounds like a lot of fun too. A whole lot of fun. And then um, we have something called propensities, which propensities are sort of what paragons are named NPCs have. They're like hyper skills that can eventually become mythic. Uh, the gunfighter might be able to shoot a little bit straighter, he may be able to hit targets better up until eventually um, a drover may be able to like throw their lariat around enough and whip up a tornado and ride that tornado. That's too cool. That is entirely too cool. I didn't even mention the magic that are in the book. So there, there's a lot of goodness in the book. <laughs> I, I just appreciate that, that you've managed to make this much cool stuff, but also have the historical groundedness in it. Because I know from the assorted things in, in my collection, I don't know of any of them that go that far in both directions. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, it was not easy. And I had an amazing team at, in many late night calls saying, are you, are you sure? <laughs> yes, we can do it. And some people that came up with some incredible ideas that are in the book. Um, one of my favorite things is sort of an extension is a clockwork kingdom that Evan did that is hidden away under Texas as another location that you can go to, which is super, super cool. And Dennis wrote most of the uh, sort of hidden science section, which is the meta campaign that deals with uh, an ancient alien race and the ramifications that sort of run throughout to modern day. And Kurt created an amazing piece of uh, a body horror to represent one of their agents, which is <laughs> and angel wrote the state of sequoia in the book which so in the the haunted west reconstruction is the alternate timeline and one of the things that happens is through different negotiations the indigenous nations sort of make an agreement with the united states and they form uh, sequoia which is sort of its own state that has representatives and everything else that go to dc and angel wrote that up and it is also spectacular so i guess really once you've read it i could talk about specific bullet points in the book but there there's a lot i don't want to give too many spoilers but i feel like i've given a lot of spoilers more tonight than i have any other time well i appreciate that uh, i mean but uh, to be honest to me it's like you've been dropping these kernels and i keep going oh that one and oh, oh that one and that one and i want all of them <laughs> so yes you, you mentioned ken Ken is also one of the writers in the book. He wrote the scenario Night of the Aristat. Cool. So since you're kind of starting into that, do you want to shout out 
parts or all of your team? I mean, you said you had quite a vast team, so I don't know if you... Um, it would take a long time to read them all, but each and every one of them is exceptional. Uh, some, some quick ones. I apologize as I won't to everyone. Rachel did editing. Natasha did the layout. Angel was a writer and one of the sensitivity readers. Dan was a sensitivity reader. Uh, Rose helped with... Rose is sort of like the key driving force behind the, the bad line section, which is awesome. Um, Adam jumped on board and did some additional dev work because... Uh, while I have a day job, I also needed some additional help so I could sort of focus on some day job stuff. And Adam stepped in and became like my right-hand man for most of that. And there's like 15 other people I could shout out. So buy the book, see their names, buy and give them money. Yeah, because, well, like you said, everybody puts a lot of time into these things. And, I mean, you put together, not having seen it yet, what sounds like just an absolutely amazing product. And, yeah. It, it it costs money to do that, people. That's that's the the truth of it. So, Steve, do you so, have anything? I guess. To, no, go ahead. I was just going to tell you a horror story, but no, 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 no we'll, we'll take horror stories. That, that, I will save that for a, a whenever we're at a convention when people can go to them again and drinks. Alrighty. No, I I don't have anything else. You've sold this book to me twice now, so congratulations. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think. Why don't you go ahead and if you have any social media or where you'd like to be, you know, anything you'd like to plug as far as your personal stuff, Chris, and any of that. Or you can find me on Twitter at darker underscore Hugh. I rant about occasional gaming stuff. I talk a lot about the work. Um, I retweet a lot of other great, amazing people making good stuff. And I would say buy Haunted West. Tell your friends about Haunted West. Tell journalists that you mean about Haunted West. Tell people in the street that you mean about Haunted West. Make Haunted West cards and give them out to people that you don't even know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you 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 need to make stickers, Chris, so people can just <laughs> stick them in random places. If they want, I recently opened a, a swag store, and we sell stickers now. There you go. Well, yeah, with that, I think it's time we move into Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week! All right. So, uh, would you like one of us at least to go and, uh, so you get a little bit better of a feel of what we do here, Chris? I'll just dive in. I'm, I'm okay with that. What's, what's a little bit of internet embarrassment? <laughs> All right. Uh, so I guess my game is going to be Hellas, uh, Jared Grayson. It's called Hellas Worlds of Sun and Stone. It is sort of a scientific space opera game that takes the unlisted humans and puts them with aliens in a far future. And there's gods, there's magic, and it's all side by side with like advanced lasers and all this sort of super technology. Uh, Jerry is an incredible creative, and anything he makes, people should just buy. Very cool. This has got the like the Greek font and everything. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I found the right one. It's also steeped somewhat in history. It's got space opera stuff. So. I love science fiction and I love history, so what's not to love? Very, very cool. All right, Steve, you got something? I do. Mine's a little bit odd for game of the week. I'll just say that. The game I'm shouting out is the index card RPG. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> so you know me, I, I normally shout out like genre specific games that have a setting attached to them. I'm not usually the guy that's like, oh yeah, here's this generic game system, it's great. But I've been playing some index card RPG and it's great. Like (laughs) 
it is it is one of the coolest generic systems I've played with in a while because it has all of the information you need in like an index card. And to play that is fantastic to run it. I've been doing a little bit of research into running it and I'm just like astounded by the, I don't know how to put it. They, it, I'm astounded by the work that went into making this as simple as it is. If that makes any sense, because it's complex, but it's not too complex and it's simple, but it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't leave you feeling, it doesn't leave you feeling wanting. You don't, you don't walk away from playing a session of it going, yeah, I feel like that was like, just like made up 90% of the time. No, it's, it's great. Like it's really good. Yeah. That's my game of the week is the index card RPG. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I knew you'd been playing that actually what that's with one of the people from our discord, right? Yeah. Yeah. I hopped on that and we've been playing and yeah, as, as I, as I get into actually playing it, it just gets like, I didn't know going into it. I was like, okay, well sure. I'll check it out. Cause I'll play anything once. I'm usually, I like crunchier games. I don't like super crunchy games, but I like crunchier games, but I was like, okay, well I'll try this. Index card RPG is great, man. It's, it's dope. <laughs> like what do you got, Steve? Well, I'm going, you know, I've been on a, a serious games kick lately. So I decided to, to kind of slightly veer off of that. So my game of the week this week is going to be retro star. Now, if you've not heard of this, let me read you just the first, well, let's call it two lines of the drive through listing. It starts off with a dictionary style definition of science fiction. It says fiction dealing principally with the impact of actual or imagined science on society or individuals or having a scientific factor as an essential orienting component. Now at disco, this is retro star. <laughs> <laughs> and what this game is explicitly made to do is 70 style, 60, 70 style sci-fi. Yeah, no, I, I hate you that you found this. <laughs> I hate, I hate it. I love it. I like, I saw the cover art and my brain immediately went to like a million different terrible movies I've watched. <laughs> and like, I, it just looks like, I don't know that I'd want to play it all the time. Oh no. But I want to would... play this. I want to play this like once a month on like a Saturday night at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> i want this to be the game that like i can't sleep and i know a bunch of my friends can't sleep and so i'm all gonna call them up and be like we're gonna play retro star <laughs> but yeah if you make that happen much like i said i've been up since midnight so feel free <laughs> to give me a call and i'd be jumping that <laughs> but yeah i mean like and, and to the point they actually call the gm the showrunner and a campaign <laughs> is a series Oh man, so they're going yeah. they're they're less going for the movies. They're more going for like Battlestar Galactica. Oh, you know, that was specifically referenced somewhere I saw. I don't yeah. see it on the on the listing, but I saw that somewhere. I actually saw this quite a while ago in some little blurb on like EN World or something. Hmm. But yeah, it just like it looks like just absolute bonkers fun. And uh it's actually been around for well since December of 2015 it's from spectrum games but uh the core book pdf is all of 15 dollars. and there's a pay what you want quick play yes well if you want to try it before you buy it you can do that too yep 
That's cool, man. <laughs> I I knew that would hit your hit your your dials. Yeah, you you did it. <laughs> so uh yeah, I guess that 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 kind of brings us to the end of the show. I would like to thank you very much Chris for coming to take time to talk with us and for for bringing up some topics that aren't the easiest to talk about but do need addressed. And to a certain point, you know, thank you for calling us out on some of that because well, frankly, we deserved it. Appreciate you all having me on the show. Absolutely. It was a blast. And, and you know, again, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. With all that being said. Actually, I have one more question. Oh, go ahead. Do you have something in the works that you would like to hint? Or are you not willing to do that yet? So one of the things I learned when making Haunted West, I talked about Haunted West before, like early on, because I thought that maybe like talk about it and get everyone to talk about it, engage with it. It didn't quite work like that. So I've taken a brand new approach for Project X. It is only called Project X. I will give no hints to what it is. I will not say what it is until Project X is ready to drop. Very cool. So there you have it. Chris's next game is Project X. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Or if you look for it on Twitter, it is always called Dactin. Yeah. We can only speculate that this is an X-Men RPG that he is working on. (laughs) Do you like superheroes? Mm. <laughs> okay all right sorry to interrupt you there steve no that's fine but with that and and again we want to thank you for coming on the podcast we want to remind everyone as always links to everything in the show notes discord uh, facebook twitter chris's information um as he provides to you guys all the <laughs> games we've mentioned everything will be in the show notes but With that, we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.